This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 94 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. In a recent broadcast hangout, we had Tim Green, who was talking about multicultural Sunday meetings. And in this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of that session. You can find the full notes on everything that Tim had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 94. So here is Tim Green. So, as Rod has said, my name is Tim, Tim Green. I'm married to Catherine. We have three adult children and three grandchildren. Um, and uh, it's been a privilege to serve at Woodside uh, Church in Bedford uh, for the length of time that Rada said, for 20 years. Um, and uh, it was in the mid to late 80s when uh, God spoke to Catherine and myself about moving from where we were, quite a rural town, uh, to Bedford itself. And one of the things he said to us was, you reach Bedford and you'll reach the world And what we didn't realize at that particular time was just how many people from different ethnic groups would end up living in Bedford. It was a multi-ethnic town already, quite diverse, but it has become much more so in the last few decades. Um, One of the most uh, diverse boroughs, in fact, in the east of England, with over 100 language groups all together. And uh, it's not untypical of many of the cities and towns that there are in the UK and indeed in Western Europe as a whole. Um, it uh, really defines... Uh, how... Sorry, yes. can you hear me? Yes, Radha. Would you please have your camera on so we can see you? Yes, I can. Um, how do I do that? Let's have a look. There we go. Is that better? Excellent. That's brilliant. Shall uh, I, I carry on? Carry on. I'll carry on. I do apologise about that. I, technical things are not always my thing. Um, so uh, in any town or city, you, uh, you'll have a, a makeup of a population, and that's really the harvest field, uh, if you like, the immediate uh, a population that as local churches we're seeking to, to reach. And we're passionate uh, at Woodside in Bedford to reflect our community. Uh, As the borough has changed, so have we as a church. We have a significant number who have their origins uh, from outside of the UK, either directly or through previous generations of their family. Uh, Some have come to us and they were already Christians. Others have found a home with us. Others have become Christians while living in Bedford uh, itself. And uh, we've over 40 language groups present, uh, represented by different people in Woodside. Uh, and I guess, really, we've been about 16 or so, 15 or 16 years into this journey. So uh, it's been some long time. Uh, at present, within uh, Woodside, we have uh, members who are from India, about eight different states within India. Uh, and uh, then we have others from other parts of Asia, uh, for instance, uh, Sri Lanka, both Tamil and Sinhalese, the Philippines, Iraq, Bangladesh, Singapore, China, Hong Kong. Uh, from Africa, we have uh, members in our church from South Africa, both black and white, 
uh, both black and white, Zimbabweans from Nigeria, Ghana, Zambia, Kenya, Ethiopia, South Sudan, uh, some of the African countries that we have people from, uh, people from the Caribbean, uh, some of those that I'm, I'm aware of from Trinidad, Barbados, Jamaica, St. Lucia, Granada, uh, from Europe, from Ireland, Holland, Ukraine, Czech Republic, Spain, Greece, the Americas, Brazil and USA, New Zealand, and then, of course, uh, indigenous British, uh, which is still the largest of uh, all those uh, that are within the church. But about a third of those that are part of the church community at Woodside originate from outside of the UK, either in their generation or previous generations. Now, sadly, in many of our towns and cities, 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning can be one of the most racially segregated times in the week. This is uh, because there are many churches which are just one ethnicity uh, predominantly in their own church. Um, and if we're thinking about multi-ethnic, multicultural uh, meetings and churches with a mix of many different ethnicities uh, all together at the same time as one body, uh, expressing worship and receiving teaching and fellowshipping together, then we must be convinced of a, a, a biblical basis, having a biblical mandate uh, for doing this. And the Bible, as many of us will be aware, is really, really clear. Uh, the promises of God about the nations run through the whole thread of Scripture. So even in the very beginning, uh, near the beginning of Genesis, Genesis 12, 1 to 2, um, God speaking to Abraham and promising all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then Paul uh, giving uh, the New Testament perspective on this in Galatians 3, 16, and then again in uh, verse 29, is saying that Christ is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. Through him, every nation will be blessed. And then he says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we are in Christ. So the promise equally applies to us, that the nations, including those on our very doorstep in our communities, uh, will be blessed through us, God's people. And uh, then again in Matthew 24, 14, uh, Jesus said uh, that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And we read that this taking of the gospel of the kingdom to all the nations, uh, including all the nations that are now scattered into our own towns and cities, will be fruitful. So uh, Revelation 5, 9 to 10, uh, we read of the 24 elders and uh, four living creatures around the throne of God singing a new song, singing, uh, you are worthy to take the scroll to open the seals because you were uh, slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then again in Revelation 7, 9 to 10, John says, after this I looked and there was before me, I love this one, uh, it was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language. 
standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And for me, when you've got a gathering of people representing different nations like we now experience, it's like a foretaste of what uh, the book of Revelation and the scriptures as a whole say will happen and will be our experience for the whole of eternity. And there are many other scriptures that give us absolute confidence that the triumph of the cross will affect every people group, which is why we're on mission. And so Jesus, as uh, we'll be very familiar with, and Matthew 28, 18 to 20, uh, said then, uh, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And uh, literally, the word nations, Greek, ethne, is all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. So these nations, many of them, are now on our doorsteps. We are all called to reach out to all people groups and then to gather them to be a part of us and to be uh, for us to uh, make disciples of Christ of one another. And then, of course, uh, again, threaded through Scripture and particularly in the New Testament, uh, uh, summed up in the second of the greatest commandments, Matthew 22, 39, for example, Jesus saying this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what better way to love our neighbors than to share the love of Christ with them? Uh, and uh, our neighbors uh, are in, uh, from many, many different backgrounds these days in many of our towns and our cities. And then there are other verses which help us with a biblical foundation for multi-ethnic church development as a whole, but including when we meet together as whole churches. So in Galatians 3, uh, 28, we read that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So no personal distinctions in the body of Christ, because we're one in Christ, whatever our ethnic background or, of course, socioeconomic background and so forth. And then in Ephesians 2, 14 to 15, we read about uh, the church becoming one new man in Christ, about Jesus through the cross breaking down every barrier that there is. Uh, first of all, he's explaining between Jew and Gentile, but of course the Gentiles make up all the other nations and uh, in Christ, every division between one and another is broken down uh, through the cross. And so we read that he himself, Jesus, is our peace, and he's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So then, uh, Paul says... Uh, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See, when we gather, uh, we're the household of God. We're fellow citizens uh, with the saints. Uh, we're family. Uh, we're in Christ. We're one new man in Christ. And that's 
well, the privilege of any church representing lots of different uh, nationalities and ethnic groups uh, all together in one place is representing at least in part. So these verses abolish ethnocentrism. Uh, we're a new humanity. Uh, Jesus has removed the barrier uh, between God and people, but also between uh, people of different backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds with one another. And then just one more uh, Bible verse, two, two more Bible verses, actually, Colossians 3, 9 to 11, uh, where Paul says, do not lie to one another since you've put off the old self with its practices and you put on the new self, which is being renewed uh, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, uh, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So we're no longer living in the old self and have put on the new self. And cultural and racial and social distinctions, therefore, are no longer the means by which we are primarily identified. We're now identified in Christ. We've put on the new self. We've put on Christ himself. And then finally, in 1 John 4, verse 7, we read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We're all God's children, and we must love one another. And one of the visual ways in which that is seen and expressed is when we gather as a local church, normally on a Sunday, but whatever day the service is, gathering and expressing that love together, first for God in our worship and praise, in our response to his word, but also in fellowship with one another. We love because he first loved us. I guess in the New Testament, the only uh, real example of a church where we get any inkling of an indication is maybe the Antioch church, where the list of leaders in Acts 13, 1 to 2, um, indicates that there were those of different ethnic and racial backgrounds as a part of that company of teachers and prophets uh, that were worshipping together before uh, God by the Holy Spirit spoke and said about setting apart Barnabas and Saul for the missionary work that they were about to do. So let's get practical. Uh, how have we found that we have helped uh, to uh, develop and grow as a multi-ethnic church? We certainly weren't that once. We are that now. Uh, and my big word is intentionality. It takes work to create and to sustain multi-ethnic churches. Their development actually doesn't just happen automatically. Um, there's a, a book called One Body, One Spirit, Principles in Successful Multiracial Churches by a man called George Yancey, who says this, multiracial churches don't just spring up. They are the result of intentional efforts on the part of church leaders and members to create or maintain an integrated congregation. So very practically, we've done different things at different times. And in some of the earlier stages, as people started to come to us, whose background uh, was uh, primarily from other different uh, nations uh, outside of the UK, um, we found some of these things at uh, different times were helpful. We, some of them we don't do now, but we did then. Uh, one of the things we did was we started putting flags up. Uh, just uh, uh, in, in various places in the main meeting hall, uh, representing uh, nations of people that started to come to us. And it's amazing how people coming in, maybe from Ghana, for example, seeing the Ghanaian flag, suddenly felt wanted 
and felt included and felt at home. Um, a, a very artistic lady in the church uh, made some banners that went up on the walls uh, around the main hall at the time, uh, but she actually put names of God in different languages uh, that we had represented in the church. And uh, again, uh, uh, we had poster with the word welcome uh, written in a number of different languages of those that were also in the church. And uh, we don't have any of those now, but at the time when people were first coming to us from different nations, uh, people identified with those and just felt visibly welcomed. You know, think about the background music that you have when people come into the meeting before the meeting starts and maybe at the end of the meeting when people are simply just fellowshipping together. Uh, it doesn't have to be uh, just one type of uh, worship music or background music. But think of the different ethnicities there are in your town or your community, even people that are not necessarily in your church yet, uh, and think about the possibilities uh, of what could be used. But more than anything else, the sense of family and welcome makes the big difference. Um, and uh, a part of that is food. Uh, we found that food makes a difference, even on, uh, at the end of a Sunday service, for example. So quite recently... Uh, we have two services on a Sunday, but after our 11 o'clock service, where we have a little bit more uh, time, um, we've just said that once in a while we'll have snacks or have food. And some of our Africans in the church are really taking that to heart. And every time there's been a friend's birthday, they say, can we bring some food? And they've really brought a lot of food. And it's just been a tremendous way of celebrating uh, just who we are and celebrating the different cultures uh, with food. And then another occasion, there was a uh, a very special uh, child Thanksgiving that we had as part of the service. And this was a, a couple, white English couple, uh, that wanted to bring cake for everybody. But just food makes a big difference and makes people feel welcome. It's just giving space for spontaneity, for grassroots, wanting to express something of uh, who we are as a family uh, 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 of God. Um, Catherine and I, as leaders, have been very intentional about connecting people with others. Um, people different to themselves uh, love connecting Indians with Africans and Africans with Europeans and so forth, but also those of the same background. If someone from Nigeria comes in as a visitor, I, I want them to meet uh, other Nigerians in the room as well as uh, others that will be warm and welcoming uh, to them. It helps them feel at home. So welcome is a really important thing. Another really important thing is acceptance. Uh, and we just have to have a very accepting attitude to everybody uh, who, who comes to our services, to our meetings. Um, there are different ideas and different cultures about punctuality. And we just have to be relaxed about that. Um, acceptance includes learning the names of those that come, uh, including the children's names. And sometimes they're names that are unfamiliar uh, to us and uh, it's, there's nothing wrong with saying oh, could you just write down your name so I could remember it for next week just make sure you remember it next week um, asking about home wherever home might be and it may be a different city and a different nation and you know what's it like and who lives there have you got family members there how often do you visit that kind of thing very quickly uh, an ex a feeling of acceptance with those kinds of conversations uh, is created um, and do everything you can to avoid a them and us mentality uh, and avoid assuming 
the grouping of people by race. Uh, some of our people in the early days, we had a real influx of people from South Asia, for example. And some of our folk who had previously been around in the, in the church assumed that all the Indians knew each other. Well, they didn't. I was introducing Indians to Indians. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, or assuming that an African will only want to talk with another African. Well, that African may be a teacher and the, they may be very happy to talk to Africans, but they also might be very happy to connect with people in the same profession, maybe a teacher or a nurse or whatever they happen to be. And then as well as that, as a part of acceptance, hospitality as an extension of the Sunday meeting uh, can happen both in an organised way, mentioned a bit about food just now, uh, being organised, but also in a planned and spontaneous way. We have one Nigerian family quite early on when we didn't have many Africans amongst us who turned up at Woodside. They'd moved from the south of England, uh, previously been in, in Africa. And uh, uh, an older couple in the church there and then invited them from the meeting at the end back to their house uh, for Sunday lunch for some food. That clinched the deal as far as they were concerned. This family remained in Woodside for as long as they lived in Bedford ever since, because out of the meeting then, friendship developed and hospitality was extended, which made such a huge difference. And has helped, those kinds of things have helped us uh, to create the diverse community, the church that we now are. Also, understanding is an important thing. Understanding where people are from. Ask them, learn. We've got to be learners, learning from each other. Asking, well, what's your first language? How many languages do you speak? We've got folk in the church who speak five, six, or seven languages. Quite amazing. Um, and, uh, uh, and also understanding that not all that come from different nations, different ethnic backgrounds, um, have the same reason for being here. Some are students. Some are professionals who've come because of their job. In fact, we have very high-level professionals uh, from different ethnic groups uh, in our church. Others are refugees. Some may have come because of marriage. Uh, maybe uh, they came because they have an arranged marriage. Uh, some are second generation uh, and very westernised. Uh, we found that some have uh, been brought up as Christians uh, in a church with, with just one ethnic group but because they're second or third generation and in the workplace and school study, everything else, they're used to mixing in a very multicultural environment in those settings. Uh, they wanted that in church as well and found a home uh, with us and been att attracted uh, to what we are doing. Uh, so there are many different uh, things that we need to understand. Uh, and also those coming to us have different understandings of church and church leadership roles. Uh, some, some who've come have called me and others of, others of the elders, things like, well, I, you know, I've been called Pastor Tim. Now, I tend to say in the end, well, just call me Tim. But if someone does call me Pastor Tim, I'm not going to argue with them uh, because they, they, that would be a, a sign of honour on their part and how they would be used to speaking uh, to a church leader before they came uh, to, to our church. Uh, and um, your, your contact with them as a leader, if you're a leader of a church or one in the leadership team, um, then uh, your contact with them initially is particularly important. That will mean a lot. But then you want them to introduce them to others in the church. And so in the end, 
uh, you decrease and the whole body of the church uh, in the meeting uh, starts to increase. We need encouragement to uh, uh, need to encourage those coming to us as well to start serving on a Sunday, start really getting involved. But that takes place as we go along. I think things like kids work is really important. All children being loved and accepted, none treated as strangers. Um, in one of our groups, um, we now one of our children's groups, the white British children are actually the minority. Um, and it's important to recruit workers for our children's work from all the ethnic groups that we actually have in the church, uh, or as many of it as possible uh, uh, at any given time. We found that training our staff, uh, larger church uh, and ministry leaders, uh, both formally and informally, uh, about cross-cultural mission and about where we're at as a church uh, has been very important uh, from time to time. Another huge thing, of course, with our services is, is worship. Um, and we've managed now to find gifted people from uh, a number of the ethnic groups in the church. And it, it's really important uh, to uh, find and discover uh, and get involved those who are musically gifted. It's not token membership of a band, but musically gifted. And, and we, we have a significant number of those, and I can guarantee there will be, they will exist, uh, who are part of our worship bands. Uh, during our worship, there are times, not, not every week, but there have been times when we've invited people to come forward and pray short prayers in their mother tongue, in their first language. It's been fantastic when you've got 10 or 11, 12 people, one after the other, giving praise to Jesus in their own language. And it really helps to express something of who we are corporately as a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual uh, uh, church. Um, once in a while, we have those from other languages uh, singing spontaneous songs in, in their languages. And we're quite relaxed about that, quite happy. In fact, it often lifts uh, the congregation even further. One lady from Nigeria uh, will come and sing once in a while in her language, Yoruba. Um, and we've had other times when we've had pre-prepared Bible verses. I uh, did this one carol service where we had one Bible verse uh, which just encapsulated the Christmas message and we had it pre-prepared where it was read in a number of different languages that we actually do have uh, within the church. We've tried uh, but uh, to avoid, we avoid token nod to different languages and cultures, but rather uh, within the worship context, uh, as people have joined the bands, we've let them express themselves uh, and letting the bands lead us in a way that actually um, uh, influence, actually reflect who they actually are and therefore who we are. So, for example, recently, uh, one of our worship leaders who's a, a Zimbabwean, uh, he said to me, he said, can, we, can I just introduce some songs or uh, some of the songs with a little bit of a feel which will really catch some of the Africans uh, in terms of the style? And we said, well, of course, he's part of the worship band. He's a worship leader. And that's the best place from which to do that kind of thing. Also being aware within a, a Sunday service, you might have prayer, intercession, and be aware of things going on in the home countries of some of those that are in the church. Um, you know, it's not 
it's very common in the news to get things like well, there's a hurricane that's taken place in that country or, or an earthquake or a terror attack or unrest is in the news. For example, on one occasion, there was this uh, horrific uh, typhoon in the Philippines. We have a lady from the Philippines who was deeply affected by that, both with the Filipino con um, connections within Bedford itself, but also back home. She had family, she had friends. Uh, and we managed to have quite spontaneously, we announced it on the Sunday, a clothes collection uh, that was uh, being organised by the Filipino community locally and uh, people brought things. But also in our service, uh, a few weeks later, we had an offering uh, and we were able to give that. I think it was through one of the large charities and the work that they were doing, Christian charities into uh, the Philippines. What a difference that makes to our, our, our Filipino in the church. Uh, and uh, it's that kind of thing just to be aware of. And then teaching. And uh, I think for teaching, obviously, in a, uh, we're teaching the scripture, uh, the use of stories becomes very important. Understanding the context of the listeners. Um, for example, if you're using illustrations about marriage, in Woodside, we have about 14 or 15 couples, married couples, whose marriages were arranged. And so when using illustrations, uh, you know, you might use that about arranged marriages, uh, or we have a, a, a large number who are mixed race marriages. Uh, what, what a story of Ruth is great uh, illustration of that kind of thing. Uh, refer to different cultures, not just your own. So, for example, uh, one Christmas day we had a service. Large number of us were gathered. And uh, I was uh, just giving a talk on the incarnation, but just leading up to that, all the ages were in there, lots of fun. And then we talked about Christmas dinner. And I had some photos in the back. And, of course, not everybody in our church has turkey and uh, roast turkey and Brussels sprouts and all the trimmings and everything else. Uh, some of them will have biryani. Some of the Indians love that's their celebration dinner. Uh, some of our uh, Nigerians and other West Africans like jollof rice and grilled chicken and fried plantains. So I had pictures of all of those. And, of course, everybody loved it because whatever the food they love to have celebrating, it wasn't just the traditional English one or Western uh, one. Uh, they, they were all there. Um, and then find preachers from other ethnicities. Uh, it takes time, but at Woodside over the last summer, for example, we had a teaching series where we had uh, two or three uh, from India. We had a South Af uh, we had a, a South African, and we had a Ghanaian. Uh, different ones teaching different Sundays, and none of these were token preachers. They're all gifted, but some needed discovering. Um, Teach what it means to be one new man in Christ. Lay a foundation. Some of the scriptures that I used at the beginning. Uh, teach what church looks like in all its diversity and how that can include the local church. Being intentional about those things uh, we've actually done. And then language is important as well. There have been times when we've uh, used translation, um, when we've had uh, even headsets, when we've had a large group of one particular language group coming in. Um, we've had Bibles on the shelf at uh, one time we had uh, in different languages. Even if people didn't use them, there was a visual image of the fact that people from other nations are very welcome here. Um, and uh, that's not needed all the time. We have so many different languages that actually English, of course, is the one that people really want to use and use the most. And then after all of that, there's time to review and to learn as well. Um, we found from time to time we've invited individuals from the different ethnic groups within the church, people who are committed, understand our vision and values, just to meet with us 
and give some feedback. We can say, well, how are we doing? What do we need to hear? What do we need to learn? Uh, and, and asking for their help to really make things work uh, so that we're really uh, expressing uh, the different cultures and really bringing the richness of the variety that we have uh, into one thing. Think long term. Ultimately, uh, we want to reach a critical mass. Um, and uh, we have the privilege of having reached that, whereby visually we don't need the flags, we don't need the welcome signs anymore, that kind of thing, because visually you can see when you see the congregation that we uh, are, are a very diverse community. And when we worship, it has impact. When we uh, fellowship together, uh, the love visibly seen for one another uh, just has an impact. In fact, once we uh, had a Chinese lady uh, turn up as a visitor, uh, we have a few Orientals in the church, but this particular lady wasn't at the time. And she said, I like this church uh, because it's for people like me, even though she was the only Oriental looking person in the room. She saw people from many other nations and it had its, we'd reached that critical mass, I think. You will make mistakes. We've made mistakes, but relationship is the key. Genuine love wins people. And find people who bridge cultures from all the ethnic groups. You know, Africans that are really good with all the other cultures. Indians that are really good with all the other cultures. Uh, Eastern Europeans are really good with other cultures. People who can bridge across that. And find leaders from the different ethnic groups and give them opportunity to use their gifts and their leadership gifts on a Sunday in one way or another. And aim for a diverse leadership team. Uh, that carries the responsibility for the Sunday meetings long term and ask God for wisdom. But beyond anything else as well, relax, be enriched, have fun, lots of laughter. Now, just finally, and then we'll come to questions, our overarching goal as a, a church is actually not to be a multicultural or multi-ethnic church, uh, but rather a missional church. Our overall goal of a Sunday service isn't to be a multi-ethnic service, but to be a service that truly expresses biblical values and uh, real worship in spirit and truth, uh, faithful to God's word, uh, a community of the word and the spirit of grace and of truth and all the things that we hold so, uh, so, uh, pre so precious. But we're doing that as a community representing many different nations. But being multicultural helps in this process, uh, but it's the fruit of it. It's not the goal. Research shows that very few multicultural churches make being multicultural a primary focus of their church. The goal is being missional, reaching the community that you're in and then seeking to be biblical. Just imagine local churches across the country made up of people from many different nations and ethnic backgrounds who all live in the same town or city, all passionately committed to Christ, all full of the Holy Spirit, all loving and serving each other, all evangelistically active, bringing friends, uh, family uh, and uh, colleagues uh, to the services because they love it and they love the sense of family and diversity giving the world a glimpse of what the cross has actually achieved in redeeming a people from every nation, tribe and tongue, breaking down every human barrier and creating one new man in Christ. 
I, I believe there's never been such an opportunity in the UK and many other nations as well to be such a demonstration. You know, at the beginning, when you had this vision about, you know, just kind of getting different people together, integrating them, you know, how was it for you? Did you find it difficult or did it come just naturally to you? Did it come from the leaders or did it come from the people from the church? How, how was it? I think there was always a vision for the nations. Mm. But it was, uh, and uh, having uh, David Devnish as a founder elder in the church, uh, that's almost impossible not to have. What we didn't have is the representation of many nations within the church itself, just a few. But Bedford has been for, for decades a, a diverse uh, town, but we had a few, uh, and uh, it was almost in the sovereign hand of God. Uh, I can't say that we were very intentional in the first instance that uh, a number of people from different nations started to look in on us, and I think it was then uh, that we began to really see that there was something that that God was in. Um, it's something that Catherine and I personally had a passion for for a very long time. I think really. Uh, God spoke to us very clearly when we moved to the town. And we had one or two who were pre-existing in the church, um, particularly from South Asia at the time or, or um, uh, Indian origin um, Caribbean people who were really quite key when we had an, an influx, particularly people working in the health service who were recruited uh, from uh, from parts of Africa and South Asia, particularly ladies, often had to leave their husbands and their families behind. And we very quickly uh, did some alpha courses for some of those because uh, they were lonely. Uh, we extended hospitality. And I, I think that was one of the big influxes at that time uh, was we had somebody in the church who um, was um, uh, managing a nursing home with a number of nurses in. We had a number of working in the health service who were aware of friends who had, or making friends with people just coming into the town. Uh, some of those people were Christian, some were not. Uh, and then ultimately husbands joined them. Um, some of them uh, became Christians, but they sort of found a home with us. And, uh, and then it started to uh, snowball from there, really. Mm. Brilliant. What were your main challenges? Just is it yeah. to connect to these people or? Um, yeah, sometimes there are challenges with language. Um, and uh, it helps when you've got a lot of languages in the room already. So now it's easier than it was. Um, and uh, we, we uh, actually, uh, moving away from Sundays, had some small groups which uh, we're multilingual. We still do have some of those. In fact, we have uh, one which is still in one South Indian language um, and uh, which draws people from there. Uh, but that was one challenge. Um, another one is continuous envisioning and education of the church as a whole, because it can take us out of our comfort zone. And we had a significant number of the people in the church thinking, actually, the church is changing right now. And this is becoming different to what we've been used to. Mm -hmm. And encouraging people to reach out, to uh, to talk, to be friends, to uh, actually uh, not keep themselves to themselves. Or, uh, we're constantly encouraging people not just to relate to and be friends with those who are like them, but to 
cross over to uh, reach out to those who are different to them as well. Uh, and so but that can be a challenge. I think another one is building for the long term, and that's a challenge because uh, some of us can be very impatient. I think we want it all to be just right now. Uh, and uh, it, it is, it's slow uh, but steady progress rather than suddenly changing overnight. Um, yeah. Particularly if you've got a vision for that, that's uh, something. Long-term vision is really needed. Um, yeah. So that, And the need for flexibility and adaptability. Mm. is also very important yeah so how much narrative did you have to give from the front actually to start with about yes we want to be intentional about this and and did that change over time or with new, new and more people coming into your church and church expanding do you still find times when you still have to do these things so how, how did it work with you yes we do and uh, we do build in just to our teaching program periodically Uh, either mini-series or one-offs. So even uh, in September, October time, we were just teaching through, uh, if you like, our vision and values, our DNA as a church, um, one of which was uh, reaching and reflecting um, the, the town that we live in. Uh, and, of course, the reflecting is uh, we want to – the town is very diverse, multi-ethnically, and we want to look the same. Uh, and because we want to reach everybody and people from different backgrounds. Um, it happened to be me on that occasion, but I was teaching that a couple of years ago. Uh, we did Love Bedford was one preach, and the second week was Love the Nations in Bedford. Um, we've taught on One New Man in Christ. We've taught on God's love for the nations and the nations in our doorstep. Now, we don't do that all the time. We, we teach... Obviously, all kinds of things and, and many different things at the moment we're going through a series on one John. But we do seek to apply as much as we can uh, the need to express and the desire to express uh, mm. who God has made us to be. And that includes being one big family, which is very diverse. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, But we're one body in Christ. Brilliant. And you kind of had the well, Bedford is multicultural city, but what, what would you say, you know, if for people who actually in their localities, it's very low ethnic diversity, how, but, what is the best thing to make links with, with people of other cultures? Very good. Um, this is not possible in every single town. <laughs> uh, and so in, in that town, you need to say, okay, so what, who do we have in the town now? There may be a surprise. I mean, you, you may find that there are more than you think. Um, going to the national statistics, you know, national census for your own area. Um, uh, the last one was 2011, but that was six years ago, but it's still relevant now. Um, local authority statistics, often on their websites, uh, you can see exactly what the population makeup of the town is. And you just might find that there are some Uh, from other nations uh, or other uh, cultures uh, within that town. It could be those that run the local Chinese and Indian restaurants and, and not many others, but there are, yeah. get those all over the place. Well, what about them? I mean, there are people that need to hear the gospel of all kinds, uh, but one can't be unrealistic. There's no point praying your socks off for uh, God to add loads of Chinese people to your church and then yeah. you look at and you find, well, there aren't any in your city. It's yeah. reaching those that actually are there 
And that's where, you know, it's mission to uh, your local area now. That doesn't stop one uh, a church also having a, a mission or vision for other nations. Yes. Uh, but when we're talking about the nations on your doorstep, it depends on what those nations actually are. Yeah. And could you comment on, on the fact that some of the churches or, or congregations have a separate congregation for a specific ethnic group and then you know, another one for English people and the rest. And are there any pros and cons actually of doing of doing it that way? Or would you think that multicultural meetings are things to go for? Yeah, I love the latter, the multicultural meetings being the things to go for. I, I've known some situations, actually particularly in India where I used to serve, um, where um, for language reasons, mm-hmm. Uh, and language, and I think that's the only reason uh, where there's a, a large number uh, who only speak one language and it's not the same language as everybody else. Uh, yeah. That one may of necessity for maybe a period of time, maybe a long period of time, need to have a separate congregation. I don't ever think that's ideal. And even if you have that, I think you need to find other ways of being family together if you're one local church. Um, and uh, so it's far better and it expresses, I believe, God's heart far much uh, in a much greater uh, way, a much more graphic way, much more visual way, and a way that communicates to the world, look what Christ has done, where else do you find this kind of dynamic? Uh, then um, the, far better that everyone's together in one place at one time. In fact, we, we, we have two services, and we, we desire to be pretty much looking the same in both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as we possibly can, um, because it actually speaks of something and it actually does us good as a church and it, I believe, really gives glory to what Jesus has done, uh, breaking down all those dividing walls. Yeah. Could we talk about Sunday mornings a little bit? So you have said that how important is hospitality. Yes. And, and I know from people from different cultures that would mean different things. And, well, if you just, you know, we imagining coming to the front door and there are the people who are going to welcome us. So what would you say, just a few pointers, what would be a very useful and good thing to know if we are not very experienced in these things? So, you know, I'm white European, a black person from Africa comes or Middle Eastern man comes, what would be you know, some good pointers of how I should, for instance, how I should behave towards those people. Very good. Uh, firstly, uh, is just very humble and gracious and loving, courteous and kind. Um, and if uh, they come with as a family, uh, talk to all of them, talk to the husband and the wife and the children if they're on their own, um, then uh, again, just engaging conversation. Uh, as with anybody, frankly, you 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 only uh, you know some might want to be left alone. Well, you've got to respect that. But uh, assuming that isn't the case, uh, you want to introduce them to somebody else. Um, if uh, I love to find out what the name is uh, and uh, if they've been before, but if they obviously haven't, uh, what brought them? Uh, to, so it's all the really common sense things but also try and connect them very, very quickly uh, with somebody with whom you think uh, might have a little bit of in common with them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be uh, if it's someone of African origin, where well, there might be some other Africans, and you might want to do it that way. But what we do in our ethnic, in our um, worship, uh, sorry, welcome team, is we have Africans on our welcome team. Uh, we have Indians on our welcome team. You know, we have a whole mixture of people on the welcome team. Uh, and so from the very uh, welcome uh, time, people feel, oh, now th- this church has got a lot of different nationalities or ethnic backgrounds at least. Um, many are British now. Um, and, uh, you know, in this church and, and right from the very welcome part, uh, that, that is just very, very clear. Yeah. And you said that one of the important things for you is actually training your staff and training people from church. And it's really important just to know little things. How, for instance, you know, how Middle Eastern people, you know, there are some things that are rude in their cultures that would be absolutely fine in ours. And I really think that's, that's a brilliant thing. And how can we do it within a small kind of, so like within a small church or, I don't know, within a small group, would you have any any book that you would recommend or any material that we can use, anything like that? Yeah, I have actually. I've got some right by the side of me, which I, I just thought if this question came up. Um, <laughs> there's one I haven't got called One New, uh, one New People, which is very good, uh, okay. by a man called Manuel Ortiz. Uh, in fact, there's a quote from him. He says, the goal of a multi-ethnic church is to urge the body of Christ in all its diversity, to be Christian, as described in the Bible. But that's a really good one. There's another one which is really helpful, um, which is called Foreign to Familiar. Um, okay. yeah. um, and uh, this one uh, by uh, Sarah, Sarah Lania. Um, that's a, a very good book. Uh, the one I mentioned, I uh, gave a quote from earlier on by a man called George Yancey. Uh, one body, one spirit. Principles of successful multi-racial uh, uh, churches. You find that different people call them multi-ethnic churches, multicultural churches, multi-racial churches. But we're really talking about the same thing. This is yeah. from South Africa, uh, uh, from a New Frontiers Church. Actually, God stumped the church in all its glory by Nigel Measures. Um, and another one uh, from the States called Gracism, the Art of Inclusion, David Anderson. David spoke at um, uh, Steve Tibbetts' church once, Catford, when they had a day on this. Uh, so there are just some examples. Um, uh, there are others as well. The covers may have changed by now because I've had these on my shelves uh, <laughs> quite a while. And I've got about another 12 or 13 on the same sort of subject. But those are ones that I'd recommend. And some, some of those books are really helpful. Um, and uh, it's, it, it just helps when maybe the expertise isn't within the church itself. Your local store or online store, you, you can find quite a few of those. Yeah. Good, good, good. And so, okay, so we're in the church and there is welcome and, um, you know, and then the, the worship or the music starts. So you were saying that it's really important that you know, in time that to recruit people from different cultures to, to be part of a worship team. But how does, so is, is your worship fairly middle class, you know, kind of middle of the road, or do you have loads of different flavors of, depending on who you have on a team? Uh, it's 
the potential to develop that way is just emerging. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. been a long way. In very early days, well, uh, sorry, um, not in very early days, but uh, maybe 10 years ago or so, we did experiment with using quite a few uh, of the songs, sort of like the Evan Rogers type songs, you know, with some of the South African languages and so mm-hmm. forth, uh, and, and ones which are very expressive and verbal. We don't use those very much now, sorry, Evan. Um, uh, not, not because... Uh, because they only really express some of the languages that we have in the church, and not all, for a start. Um, but also, uh, at the time, uh, uh, the bands that we had weren't particularly diverse, um, and uh, it, 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 it worked to an extent, but I think probably the kids loved it more than anything, rather than it being something that really expressed who we were. What has happened more recently is that we've quite intentionally recruited more people to our bands. Mm-hmm. And that has naturally, because of the, and this is where long-term makes a difference, where the size that we are, we now have people from different ethnic backgrounds who are gifted musically, who are mm-hmm. really playing their parts, sometimes who lead the worship or who play major roles in the worship. One of our Indians has trained a number of our uh, South Asian teenagers uh, uh, and some of those are now emerging. They've been in the kids' work for quite a while as a band, but now they're emerging on Sundays as well. But it really, this this kind of thing is really long term, and I think we've got a way to go yet. I mean, the, the songs enjoyed by everybody are the ones that many of our churches sing, uh, but we're beginning to just to see a little bit of an of emergence of uh, the style of those that are in the band that are from other nations. But this is really just at the very beginning. Ask us in five years' time, and I think we might be in a developed place, but that's where long-term makes a difference. Brilliant. I, I, I heard one um, worship song, Matt Redman, actually done in Serbian language by Gypsies, and it was still the same song, still the same words, actually, you know, still the same music, it's just they did it with the Gypsy flavour, and it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Just yeah, really yeah, yeah. I, I'd love to see more and more of that um, develop. And uh, I've got a feeling we're on the verge of something like that. But that t- takes a while. Yeah. And it's interesting. I'm sure some other churches are, are ahead of us on that kind of thing. But we, we sort of know where we want to go on this. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's interesting you said that actually one of your Indian guys was um, training young people. That that was another thing I was going to ask you. So, you know, in kids' work, obviously you, I guess, follow some kind of a program, but you actually mentioned that you have people from different nations actually teaching kids in, yes. in kids' work. Yes. How important is that? I mean, they would use different methods, supposedly maybe more narrative or something like that. Not particularly, um, I, I, so, but they do bring their own flavour and character and style, as anybody does, um, in a way. And, and so it, it's actually quite natural, um, but it would be a miss if we didn't have, you know, when our kids, our kids' work is really diverse, uh, you know, as, as is the church. And I, I think I said earlier on that, one of our groups uh, in our in one of our services, um, uh, the the uh, white English children are in the minority, 
and, and it, it would be strange if if there wasn't a diverse leadership of the children's work as well. Um, yeah. And so I think that's also important. Uh, but that's true of everything that we do. You know, you, you want whether it's the cafe team or those on welcome or those in the band, uh, those preaching um, mm-hmm. uh, to represent who we are as a church uh, in the end. Yeah, that's really good. And let's let's just talk uh, quickly about leadership. So what is the balance between intentionally bringing people from other cultures into leadership without it actually feeling like, you mentioned tokenism several times, you don't want to be doing things just as tokenism. But what, what is the balance? How do you uh, go about it? I, I think one of the things is I believe there will always be leaders amongst those of, of different ethnic groups. Mm. And, and it's, it's asking God for wisdom and uh, to actually find them. And you do that by building relationship. Mm. And so it's so important to build friendship, build relationship. Um, find those, if you're a leader, find those that hang around you who want to learn, who want to catch the vision, if you like, who, who, who want to be discipled. And that certainly happened with us. Uh, in fact, in our eldership team, one of our elders who's of South uh, Indian origin, um, you know, he would say, well, uh, you know, Tim's discipled me. And, but he, what did he do first? He hung around me. <laughs> uh, and you think, okay, now there's something of God in, in this. And then you, you build a friendship and we're very good friends. Mm. Uh, but it starts with just asking God for wisdom to identify and know and, he is very gifted and much appreciated by the church and wouldn't be in eldership if he wasn't. So yeah. this isn't tokenism. But the difference it made, but there has to be some intentionality. You go looking. <laughs> but then you look for leaders, whatever the makeup of the church is, because we all need leaders at different levels and for different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't exclude any constituent of the church, whatever their background or ethnicity, from the possibility that there could be leaders um, yeah. you know, or leadership gift in them. That's really good. God, God doesn't. God is colorblind in that sense. He Absolutely. Things yeah. in people, and he doesn't care who they are, really. So that, yeah. that's good. That's good yeah. for all of them. And the other thing we found that as leaders have emerged, both in worship leaders or preachers or, or elders or uh, group leaders, you know, of small groups and that kind of thing. And I know we're not talking about small groups today. We're talking about Sunday services. Uh, people from uh, those particular cultures uh, have suddenly felt, do you know this church is for us too? Mm, makes the difference. The visibility of leadership, yeah. uh, a diverse leadership, really helps. Um, and we weren't that once. We're becoming that increasingly now. Uh, so even on uh, the team that meets with the leaders, and obviously they're visible on a Sunday as well, uh, we have those of uh, African and of... Uh, Asian origin as well as white British. We want to keep developing that, but it is something that we're seeing. That's really brilliant. And one last question. You mentioned that you have made some mistakes like everybody else has, I'm sure, in in this, you know, in in the process of developing multicultural meetings. Could you just give us some of the things that you learned from those mistakes? Yeah, I think... um, one of the things is, uh, 
you'll find in a service, uh, in, just after a service, you'll get a lot of invitations to part, to engagements or to um, to uh, special birthdays, first birthdays of children, that kind of thing. Um, and one of the mistakes would be not accepting those invitations because the difference, or do come home, but no date is made, and then you have to take the initiative and say, oh, so when can I come, you know, to, to yours? Uh, and those kinds of things that actually come out of a meeting, you know, you're talking after a service uh, and uh, the invitation comes to, to be, uh, one of the mistakes would be to think, oh, well, that wasn't really an invitation. Actually see it as an invitation. Uh, when you walk over the threshold of someone's home and also they over yours, you become a friend yeah. uh, in many cultures. And, and that makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference when we spend time celebrating family milestones, you know, weddings or whatever it happens to be. And so make the most of those rather than think, how am I going to also fit that in my diary? Those become a priority because in the long term, they make a huge difference to the sense of family for the whole church in our diversity. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that Tim said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 94. See you next time.